I guess it's been about a month ago now, a month and a half ago, we had a a service here where we uh, took pledges for Feed One, and uh, we've been waiting to hear back the final tallies, and I wanted to let you know that that we have picked up every one of the children, all 290 kids in the village that we had endeavored to pick up. Every single one of those kids are going to be part of that program now. And so I just want to, again, thank you for your generosity and your willingness to minister to somebody who we may never even see. And so thank you so much for that. Um, There are going to be more news about our mission trips coming up in the weeks to come. So just pay attention and stay connected to that. Um, But let me jump right into the word today. I've got man, I got a lot of ground to cover, and so I want to do it quickly. Last week, we started a series called The Movement, and the premise of this series is that Jesus, when, when Jesus envisioned the church, when he started the church, um, the premise is, what does the church look like today compared to what should it look like? What did Jesus envision the church looking like when he talked about the church? What, what was his ideal in mind? What was he thinking about? And so the premise of this series is helping us get to the point where we understand that we're not just a group of people who join together on a Sunday in a specific place to worship. That is not what defines us. What defines us is we are a movement of people a revolution against the norms of this world to do something incredible for God. In Matthew chapter 16, um, Jesus was having this conversation with his disciples and he asked who the world said he was and then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And, And Peter responded and he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the risen God. And this is what Jesus said to him. He said in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he wasn't saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. He was saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on this revelation in your faith, this this revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. And we talked last week about how Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 21 that he was the cornerstone, that he was the reference point for everything else in our faith. And so what we have to see here is this word church, it's, it's not supposed to be translated as church, it's ecclesia. Church is a location, ecclesia is a movement. So the Greek word ecclesia here, it's E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, just because I had several people ask me last week. So this word ecclesia means a gathering of people with, uh, that are united by a common identity and purpose. So we're not supposed to be a group of people who just happen to show up at the same place on Sunday morning if we make it because of the time change. What, what we're supposed to be is a group of people who are united in identity with a common purpose. That there are a diverse group of people in this room, but there's something that is common among all of us as an identifier, and that's Jesus Christ in our lives. So that is a common identity, and our common purpose should be, what are we doing to reach this world for Jesus Christ? Those are the things that unite us. And Ecclesia is not just about our church, but it's about the church. So do you know what? This might offend some of you. Did you know Saving Grace? They're part of the Ecclesia. Did you know that Grace United Methodist Church, even though their style is different than ours, they're part of the ecclesia, the movement. Greystone, Pastor Rick Hurley, I love him. I love what they're doing at Greystone. They are different than us, but they are still part of the movement, part of the ecclesia. Does that make sense? This is not confined by the walls of this church. This is much bigger than that. And if we dream based on the confines of this church, we're in trouble because Jesus wants a much bigger church than that. He doesn't want a church. He wants an ecclesia. This is what I want to share with you today. Um, What is the ecclesia supposed to look like? What is this movement supposed to be? How is it supposed to feel? Um, And and this is what I want to get into today. John chapter 1, verse 14 
This is what it says. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And when it says the word, it's talking about Jesus. If you look at John chapter one, verse one, just a few verses before that, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And when it talks about the word, it's talking about Jesus, okay? So when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, it's saying that God sent his son Jesus to be flesh for us and dwelt among us. And it goes on to say, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son, of, uh, son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, I want us to pause there for a second. That phrase is really, really important, full of grace and truth. Now, that's, that's a phrase you might have heard before, but this is, this is going to be one of the key points that we need to stick with for the rest of this morning, okay? Grace and truth. Let me go on. Verse 15 says, John bore witness about him, and this is talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' older cousin, um, and it says, John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now you go, wait a second. I thought you said John was his older cousin. He was. But what, G what uh, John is saying here is not that Jesus was older, but that Jesus was the Messiah. So what John is doing is declaring the divinity of Jesus and saying, hey, you know what? I'm older than he is, but he is before me. He is preeminent before me because he was all there is. Does that make sense? He was since the beginning of time. Just like in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. Since the beginning of time, Jesus was. And, and John is making that declaration. Verse 16 says, for from his fullness, we have, received, uh, we have all received grace upon grace. Aren't you thankful for grace upon grace in your life? Aren't you thankful when you screw up and mess up that, that we can go, okay, God, I, I, I don't just need your grace. I need your grace upon grace, Right? That, man, I messed up again, God. I, I'm a failure. I failed you. And God doesn't go, you know what? I'm done with you. Get out of here. What does God do? He says, you know what? I'm going to heap grace upon grace on your life. And I'm so grateful for that. But listen to verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses. And we understand that, right? We see the movie and the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston goes up the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments and he comes down. He's got the law, right? That's the law. And so the, the law was given through Moses. Now listen to this. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is really, really important for us because I, I feel deeply within my heart that Jesus wants his church, wants his ecclesia to be a people of grace and truth. This is going to be really important for us, not just today, but for us moving forward as well. So the question is, what is grace really? And I don't have time to uh, dissect and to get into this. As I started studying this word and really getting into it, I realized I could probably do about six weeks on this topic and still not do it justice. And you're going to get it in 30 minutes, okay? So this is what I'm trying to do today, so bear with me. Grace, in a nutshell, is unmerited favor. Okay, that's kind of the standard, uh, standard church version of that word. It's unmerited favor. And what it means is we get what we don't deserve. Okay? Um, mercy is us not getting what we deserve. Okay, because in Romans it says, Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. So what we earn is death based on our own goodness. We're not good enough. So what we earn, what we deserve is death. Okay? So mercy says you don't get death. But grace says you get what you don't deserve. Grace says you don't deserve heaven, but I'm giving it to you. Does that make sense? Okay, when I was in high school, I was trying to think of this timeline. I, I think I told this story before. I've got this scar on my chin, and I don't know if you can see it very well, but it's right there. I got this scar um, because I was in high school, and 
I was not a rebellious kid. I was not a bad kid. I didn't party, but I wanted to go to a concert. And I knew my parents probably wouldn't let me go to a concert. And so I said, hey, do you care if I spend the night at my friend Chad Rourke's house? And my parents said, no, that's great. They knew Chad. And so I was indeed going to spend the night at Chad Rourke's house. But what I failed to tell them was that while I was at Chad Rourke's house, we were going to go to a Metallica concert. And so (laughs) what's the worst that could happen, right? So here's your pastor. I was, I don't know, 17. I'm standing in the mosh pit at the, uh, at the uh, well, I guess it was the State Fairgrounds Arena in Oklahoma City and packed house, standing room only. I'm in the front and we're just like into the music. It's, you know, almost like Amy Grant if you're not familiar with it. And so, um, <laughs> and so I'm standing in the front and people are just bouncing off, hitting each other. And I don't even know why, but something about it, it was fun and this guy was about this tall and he decides he, he's going to go after the big guy and he leads with his head right into my chin. And for some reason, my jaw was offset a little bit. And went, Oh my gosh. And I reached down and there was blood all over my hands. And this was about 1130 or 12 at night. And my dad, he worked construction his whole life. Okay. So this was a guy, he would uh, go to bed like eight o'clock, get up at like 4 a.m., okay? And so I knew, my dad's been asleep for hours now, and my face has exploded, and, um, and I'm pretty sure, yeah, one, two, three, I got like five chipped teeth, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I look at my friend, and and then I, does this look okay? And as soon as I look at him, he goes, <gasps> just like that, like horrified, and I thought, oh man, I'm in trouble. So I go to the bathroom, and I look, and I make the same face, <gasps> because... I can see the bone in my chin. And I'm like, oh no. And so stupid teenage boy, I asked my friend, I said, do you think my parents will notice? <laughs> I thought, you know, rub some dirt on it. I, they'll never need, they'll never know. So sure enough, I was like, oh, there's no, there's no way to get around this. So went home, you know, snuck in. And, um, and I went to my mom's side of the bed because, come on, we know who to talk to when you get in trouble, right? Like, I'm the baby, I'm the boy, I'm talking to my mama. And so I went, mom, 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 And I mean, I was being as quiet, trying to be gentle. And my dad, what's wrong? What's, what's going on? And my dad is a big guy, 6'4", his hands, he's got like sausage fingers. I mean, he's huge, he's a big guy. And so, hey, hey, dad, I hurt my chin a little bit. And what happened? And I explained the story as gently as I could. So we go to the hospital and, you know, two in the morning, we're at the hospital. Isn't that your favorite thing? My son got in an accident. I got to take him to the hospital at two in the morning because he was being stupid. So we're sitting at the hospital. A guy comes in. This is off topic a little bit. He walks in with this, this styrofoam cup and he's got his hand all wrapped up and he walks up and he checks in and he sits down next to me. And I look and in the cup, he's got his finger from his other. And so I go, hey, if, if you need to go in front of me, you can, that's cool. I mean, I got to get stitches, but whatever, that's fine. And so, uh, so we're sitting there, I get the stitches, like 14 stitches in my chin, I go home and I just know, like, I'm dead, right? Like, the wages of sin is death, right? Like, I know, I'm, we're a biblical family, I'm gonna die. And so we wake up the next morning, and, you know, I, I like, hey, 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 good morning. Hey, guys, and how are we doing? And Mike talked to me a little bit, and then my dad says, what are you doing today? And I'm thinking probably, you know, uh, six months to one year, I don't know, like probably <laughs> doing time, probably. And he said, um, how about if we go get your car stereo today? 
Is there somebody else in the room? Who are you talking to? Are you talking to me? Well, my face was busted because I was at a Metallica concert and my parents decide, you know what? We forgive you. And not only do we forgive you, we're going to extend mercy to you and we're going to give you grace. We're going to give you something you don't deserve. Does that make sense? And this is what God does in our life. He gives us something we don't deserve because we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve an abundant life here on earth. But because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have access to that. Not just mercy, not just a get out of hell free card, but we get access to everything God is. So we get to experience his grace. Does that make sense? This is a picture of grace in our lives. So it's unmerited favor. And what Jesus does is he filters wrath in our lives. So the wrath of God is directed toward us as enemies of of the cross. And what Jesus does is he filters that wrath so that we receive the favor of God without the wrath of God. And that is what Jesus does for us. This is what it says in Titus. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, and it's talking about Jesus as the, the personification of grace. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everybody say, all people. Everyone. There is no limit to this. Everyone has access to the grace of God. Training us, now listen, this is what Jesus does when we have a relationship with him. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It's not talking about someday when we get to heaven, we're going to be holy. It's saying we need to strive for holiness now because of our relationship with Jesus. Waiting for our blessed hope, who is the returning of Jesus someday in, in, in person, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, if you remember, I read this verse a few weeks ago when we were in our redemptive love series. Now, remember though, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. He bought us out of the slavery of lawlessness, out of sin. We're not slaves to sin any longer. And he's purchased us to purify us. And he's creating a people who are zealous or passionate for good works. I've known lots of people who are zealous for things, but they might not have been zealous for good works. And that's the kind of people that that Jesus, his grace is creating. And verse 15 says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, did you hear that part? Because I didn't read that a few weeks ago when we went through this verse of this passage. It says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We love to talk about the grace of God, but we hate rebuking, don't we? We don't like to talk about that. But it's really important. So we'll come back to that in just a second. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Isn't that verse encouraging? Why don't we see this verse on T-shirts and coffee cups and bumper stickers? Why? Because it's not encouraging. We look at that and we go, well, hey, a third of the nation is Christian, right? But this verse says, hey, the road is narrow and it's hard. And probably not a lot of people are going to make it. And that's discouraging because we go, well, wait a second. What does that mean for us? What it means for us is that if your Christianity, your faith in Jesus is easy, then I wonder if you're really walking the road that was described here. And that's hard preaching. And you go, well, Mel, what does that have to do with grace? 
to be honest with you, it doesn't have a lot to do with grace. <laughs> in fact, it's kind of the opposite because one of the, the tr- things we preach in churches now, we, we tend to water down truth to the point we just preach grace. Hey, God loves everybody. And he does love everybody. God doesn't care what you've done. And he doesn't care what you've done. But we have to inject truth in that. So what's happened is we've created a nation of Christians who aren't really Christians. Because they have, they have grasped onto this, this, this word of grace, which is really important, but they have neglected the truth. So what they do is they embrace it and go, grace says that God loves me no matter what. So I can live my life no matter what. I can do whatever I want to, and God's got to love me. God's got to forgive me. But Paul talks about that, and it's, it's presuming on God's grace. It's saying, God's got to forgive me. It's like the kid who's super rebellious and goes to Metallica concerts, and his parents fail to, to, to get on to him. And they go, oh, let's you know better. Okay, just don't do it again. No, okay, just don't do it again. No, but don't do it again. You, and we've talked about this before. Have you ever seen in public the parent that'll go, I'm going to count to three. One, two, and the whole time the kid's like, so? Get to three. What are you going to do? Three. I, three. Three, right? And the kid is like two, and they're defiant. Like, what are you going to do to me? Come on. And this is the way a lot of people look at God and go, God's got to forgive me. God's full of grace. And what this verse tells us is that grace is important, but there is an aspect of God's grace that we neglect, and it's the truth of God. So grace and truth. Truth uh, today is really difficult to define because we want to make it subjective, and we want to make it relative that, well, it's true for me, but it's not really true for you. And, um, and you know, I don't want to impose my standards on you. And we, we hear, have those conversations, and everything is politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody, so we don't take a stand on anything. And so everything is kind of nebulous and watered down and whatever, and I don't care, and you, you've got your own way, and those kind of things, right? Has anybody else experienced that? Like, I'm friends with you on Facebook, so I know some of you don't know that, and that's okay, that's good. Um, but, but the truth is, it seems like truth is watered down in, in our world. And when I, when I was trying to define truth, one of the biblical definitions I found of truth is this. It says, fidelity to the original, or to the standard, or to the ideal. Fidelity to the original, standard, or ideal. And when I read that, it immediately made me think of Matthew tw- chapter 21, which I referred to earlier, where Jesus says, I am the cornerstone. And that cornerstone is the standard for measurement for the rest of that foundation. That if we don't get the cornerstone right, everything else is a mess. Because we measure our lives off of something other than the reference point of Jesus in our lives, our lives tend to be a train wreck if we don't measure it correctly. We go, well, my standard is my mom or my dad. And then our lives are a wreck and we don't understand why the foundation of our souls is crumbling. It's because we're not being truthful to who God is and who Jesus is. I referred to this earlier. Um, Let me read it again. Uh, It's not just who Jesus is, because his person, his character, and nature is the foundation of the cornerstone of our faith, but also the word of God is one of the cornerstones for our faith. So let me read this. It says, in the word, in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. Jesus and the word of God are synonymous in this place. So we have to understand that the word of God, as much as we might disagree with it at times, it should still be the cornerstone for our faith. That there is truth 
that lies within that. And we might disagree with it, but it doesn't mean that it's not true. If, if I told you today, hey guys, guess what? I woke up this morning and when I looked in the sky, I realized that the sky is pink. Everybody, the sky is pink. And I, what if I convinced you that the sky was pink? And we all agreed. We left here today and was like, man, the sky is pink. Woo! Because some of you, the manly men, you've been wanting to see a pink sky, I know. I'd like the world a lot better if it was pink sky, right? Like, we go outside and the sky is pink. Now, just because we've declared something or when we're in agreement about something does not mean that it changes the facts, does not mean that it changes truth, does not mean that the sky is going to change colors. We can agree and be in agreement that it's pink, but it doesn't mean it's going to change what it is. And so we can say, you know what, we don't really like this part of the Bible. We don't really like this passage. We don't, you know, this part makes me uncomfortable, but it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means we're uncomfortable with it. It just means we might not be in agreement with it. We might not like it very much. But the truth is, true is still true no matter what our opinion is. And that's hard. Now, this is the thing. Just like there are churches that are way on the grace side that never talk about sin, I'm sure you all know of churches that are way on the truth side, right? That they will tell you every way that you're a sinner. And they will tell you how bad a sinner you are. And they'll tell you that you are lucky to go to heaven, right? but they won't even tell you about the love of God in your life. They will say, you've done this and this and this, and you are a filthy sinner, and God just loves you because you were lucky, I guess. But they never talk about how much God loves you and how crazy he is about us. So what happens is we get this warped sense of who God is. He's judgmental, and he's, he's a Pharisee, and he's ready to crush us at any time. And I probably got saved 35,000 times growing up because I thought that God was ready to, like, flick me off of his hand at any moment. Like, he was just waiting, waiting for me to mess up, and boo, like I was gone, right? A trap door is ready to open up beneath me. This was my image of God because I, I understood truth, but I did not understand grace. And so what happens is we have churches on each side of the spectrum, this grace side and this truth side, and, and we have a hard time walking the balance out. And the truth is, it's not one or the other. The, these aren't two extremes. What they are are the two sides of the same coin. Because truth does not work without grace. Have, have you ever tried to just be better, just to live according to the law, without the grace of God in your life? It's impossible. You can't do it. It's, it's demoralizing. You feel defeated at the end. You're just like, man, what am I even doing? I can't do this. But likewise, the other side, when you just live with grace in your life and I have freedom to do whatever I want and you start coloring way outside the lines and there's no boundaries and you have to understand that grace is there not just to give us freedom, but to give us freedom within parameters. That's where real freedom is. Because people will say, well, the Bible, it's all about laws and restrictions and it is. It does restrict us. You know, if you follow, if you follow, the, I used to tell teenagers this. I used to do abstinence classes when I was a youth pastor in Austin. One of the best things about that was I would be walking through the mall and I'd have some teenage boy, like 14 year old from across the mall go, hey, you're the sex guy. And I'd be like, no, don't, don't be yelling that out loud, man. Like <laughs> police are like, who, what? I want to find out what's going on. But I would do these abstinence courses and um, and we would get into these discussions, and basically what people would say was, well, the Bible just restricts us from being able to do what we want, have sex, and all those kind of things. I go, well, it kind of does, but it also restricts you from having to worry about STDs or unplanned pregnancies or anything like that. So you could say that it restricts you, but really it frees you to not have to worry about stupid stuff that God never intended for us not to worry about. Does that make sense? 
And so there's freedom in, in the limitations that God brings into our life. So what we have to understand is grace and truth work hand in hand together. See, in a church that's high grace below truth, um, they'll say things like, everybody's fine. In a, in a church that's high truth and low grace, they're going to say things like, nobody's fine, right? Everybody's in trouble. In your life, um, this translates, if you're high grace and low truth, it translates into everybody gets a trophy. There are no losers. There's just winners. We're all winners. We don't keep score. Yeah, it was 37 to two, but we don't keep score. We're all winners. And what that does is it creates an entitlement mentality with kids. <laughs> Those of you that are employers and you work with, um, work with younger people, you understand that it's a different generation to work with now because they've been raised differently. Like, I, I played on a soccer team one time. We won one game all season long, and nobody then was like, you're just as good as them. It was like, you don't get a trophy because you stink, right? <laughs> Have you ever watched American Idol? Okay, I haven't watched it in a long time, but I would always watch the first few episodes just for the, like, the tryouts, and they'd come on, and it would be the guy that couldn't sing at all, and he'd sing like Whitney Houston, and he'd be like, what are you singing, Whitney Houston? And I will always love you. And be like, well, how did you even get out here? And they would go, uh, you know what, you, you kind of, maybe you're not right for the show. And then Simon, he would just drop the hammer on the guy and goes, you know what, I, I lost that two minutes of my life and I'll never get it back and that was the worst thing I've ever heard. Uh, my eardrums exploded, right? And then the kid would be shocked like, oh, I can't believe it, what? And they'd be in tears like, oh, I didn't make it. And the mom, oh, you're good enough, you'll do it next time. I'm like, you are lying to your son. He's not good enough, he's not gonna do it next time. So what they've done is they've extended high grace, but no truth, right? You're not doing your kid a favor. And what is it, as a church, we don't do people a favor if we say, hey, you guys are fine, just live however you want, God's gonna love you anyway. What, what we need to do is extend grace and truth together so that they can understand, hey, God loves you like crazy, but he loves you too much to leave you where you're at. He wants you to develop and grow and become more like his image. That's, that's what grace and truth will do together. Truth without grace in your personal life, that's easy. It's easy to be one without the other. But truth without grace in your personal life turns into, you know what, I have a hard time making friends because I'm just brutally honest. No, you don't know how to extend grace. You, you might be truthful, but you don't have any grace in your life to extend to people. And that's hard to live that way. It's easy to dole it out, dish it out, but it's hard to live that way. We become legalistic. We start measuring ourselves and our goodness against others by what we do or don't do. Well, my hair's shorter than his, so I must be better. My hair's longer. My, my, my pants fit better. My, my pants aren't so tight. My, I do this, they do that. I, I lift my hand this much, and they don't lift their hand at all. They lift their hand too high. I, I lift my hand just the right amount. Whatever it is, we start measuring ourselves against others because we become legalistic when we're high truth and low grace. Is this resonating with anybody? Is this making sense to anybody? So what God has called the church to be, in my humble opinion, is a, is a vessel of grace and truth to work this out together. And not only that, but he's called us as individuals to be vessels of grace and truth. He, he's called you to be full of grace and full of truth, just like he was. That means you love people enough to have a hard conversation with them sometimes. You know what? Um, 
My staff might disagree with me, but we do annual reviews. I will sit down with every one of my staff and we'll talk through their performance that year. Hey, what did you do? What did you not do? Let's talk about where you were at, what you did, and let's set some goals for the future so we can set expectations. And one of the best things about that conversation is, is I'm able to speak truth into their lives and go, you know what, you're kind of weak in this area. We need to work on that. You know what? You won't really meet expectations in this way. We need to work on that. And that is not fun to do. It's not, not easy to have those conversations. But if I want them to grow and to develop, they, we have to have those conversations. With your kids, you can feed your kids cotton candy every day if you want to. They would love that, right? Ice cream till the cows come home. They would love that. But you are not doing them any favors. You have to extend some truth along with that grace. You have to have some hard conversations with people in your life that you love and go, you know what, um, this is what I see and, and I, this is what I believe and this is how I feel and I, I want you to know this and this is where I'm at. Let me, let me get to this part. This is in Ephesians chapter four. And this is my final passage of scripture. Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. And it says, and this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and, he, and it says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Did you hear that last part? For the building up of the body of Christ. The reason God gives spiritual leaders in the church and in the body is for the building up, for, for the growth, for the development of the church. And this is what it says in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. He's saying we are searching for, we're striving for growth and development and maturity in Christ so that we won't be immature and be tossed about. Whenever we hear something new, we hear somebody on the radio say something, we go, well, maybe that's true. We hear something else, we go, maybe that's true. He wants us to be mature and rock solid in our faith so we can grow and know what truth is. Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So this is what it says, speaking truth in love, it helps us mature. When we speak the truth in love, this is truth and grace together, it helps us develop and grow, but it helps the people we're speaking truth and love into to develop and grow as well from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Did, did you hear what it says? When we speak the truth in love, this is what the end point is. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we speak truth in love, it helps us develop. It grows us. It stretches us. And it helps and develops those that we're speaking into as well. Now, the key is truth and love. It's marrying grace and truth together. And as a church, we are going to be high grace and we are going to be high truth. We're going to tell people that there is a God who's crazy about them, who has done everything to, to give himself for them. He has paid the highest price to know them, but we're also not gonna shy away from the truth of God either, either and say, hey, you know what? Everybody's good. We're gonna talk about, man, there's, there's a standard for holiness in, in the world uh, that God has for the world that we 
have to attain to. And it's not because of how good we are. It's because we say, God, I need your grace in my life in order to attain that level of holiness. I can't do it by just trying harder. I can't do it by just, by just living according to the, the law better. I have to do it by being connected to you and knowing your heart more. So we're gonna be high grace and high truth. That is who God has called us to be. We're not gonna shy away from difficult topics, but we're also gonna do it in love. That is what God has called us to be as a church. That was God, is what God is calling you to be as well. It says all the way back up in John chapter one, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that we don't just have the law to live our lives according to, but we have that grace and truth that comes through Jesus Christ. So, so today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you've brought into this place. Maybe you've been beaten down by religion. Maybe you've been beaten down by that truth with no grace. Maybe you've been part of a church where it was high grace, but no truth. This just worn you out. Because at the end of the day, those aren't really based on that cornerstone of Jesus. I want to tell you, God's got something better for you than that. So let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you love us too much to hide the truth from us. You want us to know what your word is and what your ways are. But Lord, you love us so much. You gave everything for us. And God, I pray that as a people, we would learn what your grace and, and truth are really all about. And God, I pray that we would extend it to others. That we would help share your grace and truth with others in our lives. I pray as we do, it would grow us and develop us. But Lord, let it grow and develop those around us as well. I pray that you'd have your way with us. Speak into our hearts. Change us. Meld us and mold us more into your likeness. Have your way with us, Lord. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna to ask today, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what? I, I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. I don't really know him, but I want to. I, I wanna walk with him. I wanna know the truth and grace that you're talking about. I wanna experience that for myself. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. I'm not gonna call you forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you. If that's you, Slip your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you over here on my left. Thank you. Who else? Say, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. Just a few more seconds. Anybody else? Okay. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. Man, I've struggled with the whole grace and truth thing in my life. Maybe it's from a difficult church background. Maybe it's just you personally, you struggle with that. And you say, today I need help overcoming some of that baggage, some of that, that baggage of high truth or high grace in my life. And I need God's truth for me. And I need to walk that out a little better. If you need help with that and you want God to pray or God to help you with that, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me. Pray for me. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of you. Let me pray with you right now. Lord, thank you so much that you do love us like crazy. That God, we can know your grace, that we can know you, and you create a way for us. Lord, it's not just about getting out of hell, but it's about knowing you and experiencing your abundant life here on earth. It's about experiencing heaven someday. God, I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly. So Lord, I pray right now for every person that raised their hand today, God, I pray that you would help them know you 
for who you really are. God, I pray that you would help us shed our religious baggage, some of the hurts, some of the disappointments. Lord, some of our preconceived ideas that we've had before, God, I pray that we would lay that aside so that we can know you for who you really are. God, I pray that as we endeavor as a movement, as an ecclesia to be people of grace and truth, God, let us as individuals be people of grace and truth. Lord, let us not be afraid to share truth with people in love. But God, I pray that you'd help us to extend grace to them as well. So God, every person that raised their hand today, I pray that you'd move in their heart in that way, that you would, um, Lord, just become that to them. Let them experience that in their relationship with you. God, I pray for this person that raised their hand and said that they need to get some things right with you. I pray right now you would surround them with godly influences. You'd speak life into them. You would encourage them and lift them up. Lord, I pray that as they are endeavoring and purposing to, to follow you and to know you more, God, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. God, I pray that they would know you not just because of an experience here, but because of their daily walk with you. So God, have your way with them and bless them. In the name of Jesus, we pray today. Amen. Amen. Now listen, if you raised your hand and said, I need to get some things right with God, um, there's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you and I'd love for you to fill that card out and let us know about your decision. We just wanna help you take the next step because we want you to be mature in your walk with Christ. We don't want you to just make a decision. So fill that card out and let us help you take that next step. And uh, this is what's gonna happen right now. Our prayer team's gonna be on either side of the stage as we are finishing up with one last song. And if you need prayer of any kind, please find one of our prayer team members on either side here. Let us know. We wanna pray with you about that. You can also email us at prayer at summittogether.com. Let us know about that prayer need, or you can fill out that prayer card in your seat back and drop it in the offering boxes as you leave today. Why don't you stand your feet all over the room? We'll worship one more time before we're dismissed.